if you were to draw a picture of a church, what, what would you draw? People? A steeple? People and a steeple? Good, we could do poetry as well, couldn't we? What else would you put? Okay, so a cross, people, steeple. Okay, stained glass windows. A Bible. A pulpit, yep. Lots of music and worship. Food. No one's mentioned the big C word yet. Thank you. I really was thinking of Christ. No, you're right, I was thinking of coffee. <laughs> what's, what's the coffee acronym? Um, Christ offers forgiveness for everyone everywhere. Coffee, yeah, it's a good one, isn't it? You've heard it said that church is not a place, it's a people, as we've just mentioned. You'll have heard it said that church is not an event, you are the church. You'll have heard it said that church is not an organisation, it's an organism. But it is hard to get away from the fact and the idea that church is somewhere I go. If someone asks me at work, what did you do on the weekend, I'll often answer, I went to church. It's hard to stop thinking of church simply as an event or a building or a service that I choose to attend because it meets my needs in some way. And it's that sort of place I go to that meets my needs, satire that we just saw at the, the start from John Christ. We're going to do a little series on church because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding inside and outside of the church about what church actually is. There are decreasing attendance rates at churches across Australia, across America. Uh, decreasing attendance rates amongst people who consider themselves to be committed followers of Jesus. Why is this? Why is this? You know, we've come out of a period in our culture where going to church was the done thing, wasn't it? And if you didn't go to church, you at least sent your kids to Sunday school, didn't you? Being part of a church community was sort of a social, cultural activity. It was a bit like being part of Rotary or the CWA or a sporting club. It was expected. It was the done thing. And what that resulted in was a church being full of people who weren't really born again and didn't know Jesus, didn't it? And so it made sense then, didn't it, for the church to start to, to say, hey, everybody, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, you know, going, being a Christian is about having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's heard that phrase a few times? It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's the catch cry of the evangelical church, isn't it? I think this emphasis on personal relationship with God has come with a few costs for us. The current you are the church, you don't go to church vibe has reaped a few unintended consequences for Christianity. Because here's what people start to think, and maybe you've thought this sometimes. If church is the people, not a place, then can't I just be church while I'm having coffee with friends and playing sport on Sunday and going to concerts and parties and shopping and travelling because I can be the church in all of those places, can't I? Because it's not about religious ceremonies and events. It's about me and my relationship with Jesus, isn't it? 
Or what about this? If the church is not an event, well, well, why should I turn up somewhere on a Sunday for a religious-themed event? Can't I just be church at home? Can't I just be church with my family? Can't I just be church with my Christian satellite TV community? Can't I be church with my uh, YouTube pastor? Can't I? Or if church is actually an organic organism, which is really perfect for those health-conscious Christians out there, isn't it, hey? Shouldn't I opt for a more natural approach and just avoid the institutional church altogether and avoid all those buildings and leaders and plans and all the problems that that stuff brings? Have you come across anyone like that, an organic Christian? Yeah, it's a big thing. You know, all those buildings and denominations, they're so not organic and they're so not how Jesus would have done it. I mean, Jesus is the perfect example of an organic Christian, isn't he? Like he had long hair and he wore sandals and I'm pretty sure he never used pesticides, did he? Hey, Like, I mean, he just made plants and weeds wither just by rebuking them, you know? I mean, watch our fig trees. There's a a ministry calling there for someone, I think. You know, instead of, um, you know, going around healing the sick... You could go around exercising spiritual authority over people's gardens and just rebuking weeds everywhere. I don't know, maybe not. Someone out there is probably already doing it. Uh, We think, I'll be an organic Christian, I'll just float around and gather and bump into other Christians in a really natural way. I know people like this. And it's just completely and and accidentally random. And they think that that's been spirit-led. I mean, that's been spirit-led, isn't it? Accidental and random? Maybe not. You know, that way I don't need to commit to anything or anyone and I can keep a little bit of control over my life. And if uh, I get a better offer on Sunday, well, that's where I'm at. So the current, it's all about me and my personal relationship with Jesus and I am the church, it's reaped a few problems for Christianity and it's little wonder where we've got some plummeting attendance rates in our churches, isn't it? Have you ever had someone ask you, Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? How do you answer that question? Have you ever had someone ask you, what if I'm too busy with important things? What if I'm too tired to go to church? You know, this is my only day at home with my family. Is that okay that I don't go? What I want for us in this series is to have a really healthy concept of what church is and what church life is. I want us to love the church as Christ loves his church. And I want us to appreciate why connection with a local church is essential and what it looks like. I bet everyone here knows someone who used to attend a church or who is a believer and does not currently attend a church. Do you know people like that? Or a Christian who only seems to connect in with church occasionally. Or maybe someone who's been offended by the church. Too many of our brothers and sisters are doing life on their own. Too many people walk away from Jesus because they don't understand church. And that's just not God's best for them. Or for us. So what does the Bible say about church? Let's have a look. The New Testament, the Greek word for church is ecclesia, and this is the word that's usually translated as church. It's in there 114 times, which tells me it's a little bit significant. 
Sometimes it's translated not as church, but as assembly or as congregation, where we get our word congregation from, obviously. Now, this afternoon, I'm going to use the word ecclesia a lot. I wouldn't normally kind of hammer out Greek words all the time, but I think we have so many stereotypes in our head when we hear the word church that I think we need a, a clean, neutral word to, to try and relearn some of this stuff about church. So I'm going to use the word ecclesia to try and give us a, a new taste for what church is all about. Ecclesia was actually a word that was in common use before Jesus came along. It wasn't that Jesus and the first church kind of came up with this word ecclesia to describe what they were doing. It was already a word that was in common usage in the language. And it used to refer to people in a Greek city who were chosen people and were called out from the rest of society because they had citizenship. The Ecclesia weren't made up of the general population. They weren't strangers. They weren't foreigners. They were specially selected residents who had the rights of citizenship. And the Ecclesia were called together for the purpose of conducting the city's social or political business. The word Ecclesia refers to this gathering of citizens in an assembly or in a meeting to discuss and deliberate issues. So they met to do the business of the city. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You could translate the first part of that verse kind of some, something like this, to the ecclesia of God in Corinth, to the ones who have given themselves fully over to his service in union with Christ. So the ecclesia are people who have been dedicated as servants of Christ, people who are loyal to him above all else. The ecclesia are set apart as holy people for God's holy purposes. The ecclesia are a called people. They're called to certain privileges and functions. And so a, a, a church or the ecclesia is made up of many people in a town or city who together have been called by God and set apart for his good purposes set apart from the rest of society to do God business. So they were the ecclesia of God in Corinth. Do you know who you are? You're the ecclesia of God in Kuhlman. So we are the church of God in Kuhlman. And so a significant and a vital aspect of your new identity as a Christian is belonging to God's church. You have a new identity and it's an identity that you cannot fulfill on your own because it's an identity of belonging. And we've got to get that idea in our head. It's not just, I'm a new creation in Christ. It's, we're a new creation in Christ together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, Slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So where someone's identity might have been as a Jew or as a Gentile or as someone who was a slave or a free person, their new identity is now body of Christ. 
where your old identity might have been Australian or Protestant or Catholic or nurse or teacher or gardener, your new identity is as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we meet together regularly to do the business of heaven. You are part of the ecclesia. So if you have received Jesus into your life, you are now part of the ecclesia. You've been called out, you've been set apart to come and do the business of heaven. The essential thing that made these people part of the ecclesia and not just people who all happen to have citizenship and and live in a particular city, is that they met together. The Greek ecclesia congregated together. They assembled together. And they did so to look after civic or political needs of the city. They conducted the business of the city. And the essential thing that makes us the ecclesia of God is that we also meet together as people with a common calling and a common purpose in Christ, we meet together to do the business of heaven here in our local city, our local town. It reminds me a little bit of our modern parliament. I know our modern parliament has a few problems and maybe trying to draw an analogy between the church and parliament is not such a great analogy, but just work with me. (laughs) You know, in, in our parliament, we have specially selected people, don't we? And they're called out from the general population and they're given the task of assembling together regularly or meeting together for conducting our nation's social political business. Now, there's a sense in which some of their role as, as politicians can be done as individuals. So they visit people in their electorate, they sit in their electoral office and they read paperwork, or I don't know what they actually do in there. They send out letters, they send out advertising, they do a lot of that, don't they? They, they pose for photos, uh, they talk on radio or TV. So some of their stuff is individual stuff. But they cannot fully achieve what they are called to achieve if they don't meet together as a parliament, can they? For new laws to be put in place, new things to be built, people to be helped, finances in our nation to be managed, Politicians need to assemble. They need to get together. For a parliamentarian to be a parliamentarian, they need to meet as a parliament, don't they? So your new identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God, and as a citizen of God's kingdom, we meet together regularly to do the business of heaven. You are part of the ecclesia. And you can do a bit of it on your own. But for Christians to be Christians... We need to meet as the Ecclesia. So what do we do when we meet? What is the business of heaven? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Who loves these verses? Acts 2, 42 to 47. I mean, it's it's the catch cry of the Pentecostal church, isn't it, these few verses? We love them. I love them. They're great. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day... 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what did these believers do together? What was the business of heaven that they conducted? Firstly, there was worship. They participated in formal times of worship at the temple together. They worshipped in homes together. So there were big, there were small gatherings. They prayed together. There was a culture of praise among the ecclesia. They shared the Lord's Supper together. There was also discipleship happening. So the apostles were teaching them from the word, teaching them about Jesus and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. 3,000 new converts would take a lot of discipling, wouldn't they? 3,000 new people were added to the church that day. As a pastor, my head just swims. I I don't know what on earth you'd do if you suddenly had 3,000 people to disciple. I mean, the logistics of that, think about it. It's crazy. There was care happening. So care. The ecclesia shared amongst themselves their possession, their money, their food, so that no one was in need. Their practical needs were taken care of. They had meals together and they enjoyed fellowship with one another. Then there was mission happening. There were signs and wonders being done. They had good relationship and favour with those outside the ecclesia. People were being saved, so presumably they were sharing their faith with their neighbours and their friends and their family. So notice, notice here that they met together daily. So uh, chapter 2, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They cared for each other daily. If you were to have a look in chapter 6, verse 1, it talks about there being a daily distribution of food to the widows. They searched the scriptures daily. So if you were to go over to verse 17, chapter 17, verse 11, it talks about a, a group of believers receiving the, the message with great eagerness and that they examined the scriptures every day to see if what was being said was legit. So the Ecclesia fellowshiped and cared and evangelised and studied scripture daily. What else happened daily? What else happened daily in this church? Yes, they increased in number daily. Verse chapter 2 verse 47 and then if you were to go over to chapter 16 verse 5 so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers now i wonder if our modern day churches struggle i wonder if one of the reasons we struggle is because we actually do these things once a week or once a month or once every now and again I don't know, is it simplistic of me to think if we want to increase in number daily, if we want to see signs and wonders daily, I don't know, maybe we should meet daily. Maybe we should worship daily. Maybe we should pray daily and maybe we should care daily. 
I listen to a lot of church growth, church health, church leadership stuff about growing churches and marketing churches and assimilating new believers and leveraging social media campaigns and evangelism and discipleship and training and all of that. And I don't think I have yet once heard someone simply say, church, we just need to meet together daily, care for one another daily, study the scriptures daily, and we'll increase in number daily. Maybe I'll change my tune in the future, and maybe it is naive of me to think that, but it just seems rather obvious, really, doesn't it? The early church, their faith was not about my personal salvation and and my daily relationship with Christ. This salvation and this relationship with Christ is expressed and lived out on a daily basis in connection with other believers. And I think that's where their strength lied. Some statistics that have been done about the church. 20 years ago... A church member was considered an active member of the church if they attended three times per week. Three times per week. Today, a church member is considered active in the church if they attend three times per month. Many places, it's even lower than that. Many people today think that church is an optional add-on to the Christian life and and people struggle to know how to prioritise church life with other commitments and other roles. Now we've got an awesome group of people here at CRC Coolerman who who really love being part of Christ Church and know the value of meeting together. I think that's one of our strengths. We've got a great group of people who who attend on Sundays, who get together with with others during the week and and support one another and encourage one another and fellowship with one another during the week. But we also have quite a group of people who, for various reasons, aren't so connected. And, you know, as, as people come to faith in this town, we need to know how to graft them on into our community life. If you grew up as a child in a church, you're going to find it easier to make that commitment as an adult because you've got muscle memory for it. Do you know what muscle memory is? Your brain has memories and patterns of behaviour stored so that uh, when you're you're exercising or playing a sport, if you you stop for a while and your your muscles sort of get all weak again, it's, it's easier to go back. It's easier to uh, start training again or start doing that, that sport or skill again because you've already got a brain blueprint for it. You don't need to learn it from scratch. And so many of us here who have grown up in Christian families, we've got a muscle memory for being part of the church. We get it. It, it makes sense to us. So even if we were to walk away from Jesus for a time, when we return to faith, We know how to do church. We've already learnt how to do it, how to prioritise in our life. It's in our skill set. But the challenge for CRC Coolerman, the challenge we're going to face as we grow, as new believers come into our fellowship, is teaching people who have no muscle memory for church life what it looks like to be the ecclesia. Because we are no longer living in a society that sends their kids to Sunday school and that attend church out of routine. 
And, uh, you know, this afternoon, I, I had two separate invites for social activities that I could have gone to instead of church. I, could, I was invited to go and hang out at the pool with some friends, and I was invited to go to a cocktail party. Now, obviously, as the pastor, I'm not going to blow off church and head down for some cocktails with a friend on a Sunday afternoon, but, you know, a lot of people would, wouldn't they? Cocktail sounds maybe a bit more exciting than people's concept of church. The reality is church is far more exciting than cocktails, isn't it? Yes, that's right. <laughs> but for a lot of people, that's where they're at. They're, they're at the cocktails. They're, they're, they're down at the pool. So we are going to have to learn how to get alongside new believers and how to disciple them in a way that helps them to see the beauty and the value of church. And I'll tell you this now, most of that will not happen by grabbing them and twisting their arm and convincing them to come here on a Sunday afternoon instead of to the cocktail party. You're going to have trouble doing that. We're going to need to get alongside them during the week and disciple them and mentor them and, and incorporate them into church life at other times so that it becomes a natural, desirable thing that meeting together on a Sunday is something they want to do too. Coming along to a Sunday gathering, that's kind of the end point in people's journey to faith. It's not often the start point. A bit of an aside here, just sort of a big, bit of a bracket um, an encouragement to parents. The priority you place on church now with your kids, even if it is a crazy, hectic, why on earth am I even here kind of experience for you. I mean, I've been that, I've done that. I've done the laps around the church building in the pram with the baby screaming. And the why on earth am I here? I could be at home in my comfortable lounge room right now. Um, even though it's that kind of experience for you, it's developing a habit and a routine for your children to know how to be connected in church life when they become adults. It's important, even if it's hard and even if it's not all that satisfying for you, it's important to be including your kids in church life. Talk to them about the value of it. Make it a priority in your family's life. Teach them how to say no to other things. Bring them to church gatherings, whether they're on a Sunday or a Monday, whatever day of the week. You know, we don't mind if they're a bit noisy. We don't mind if it gets a bit chaotic. We want them here because we want to disciple your kids too. That was just an aside. So the challenge for us as the Ecclesia, and, and, and as we explore what does it look like to be the Ecclesia today in a culture of work and busyness and entertainment and sport and holidays and social obligations, like how do we do it? This is a busy culture, isn't it? We struggle as a culture to know how to, to stop and how to be still and how to say no to extra activities. And we struggle to, to commit to the routines of faith and life under God's rule and reign. And when I look at the early church meeting on a daily basis like that, we can be tempted to think, well, that's okay for them. They weren't so busy then. I mean, life was simpler then. They had time then. I mean, they didn't have the same obligations and commitments that we do in our modern life. I tell you what, that was my first squirmy thought as I was wrestling through some of this stuff. 
That was the first thing my self-focused, a little bit lazy, a little bit self-indulgent heart kind of fired off. I've got commitments. Hey? I did a bit of digging into the culture of the Greco-Roman world around the time of the New Testament. Turns out they had just as much entertainment, just as many cultural activities, just as much uh, family and work obligations then as now, possibly even more then as we do now. I mean, in the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament, they had gymnasiums where they'd, they'd go and they'd work out or bathe to start or end their workday. Uh, they'd network there a bit socially, maybe a bit of business networking would go on. There were theatres, there were stadiums, they'd watch athletic contests, be horse races and chariot races, there'd be battles to watch and wrestling matches and Greek plays. There were, of course, marketplaces where you could go and buy and sell goods to your heart's content. There were plenty of festivals to go to, weddings to attend, education to pursue. There was plenty of fashion to wear and there was plenty of work and family obligations to attend to. And in the Greco-Roman world, forget about the five-day work week with two days off at the end of the week to kind of relax, catch up and do what you like. I mean, you, you certainly didn't get scheduled holiday leave or sick leave either. You might have got the occasional day off uh, to attend a religious festival, but other than that, if you wanted to eat, you worked. So I don't think the cultural pressures we have today are any more than what the first ecclesia faced. And that's challenging, isn't it? The business of heaven happens every day, not just on a Sunday. Turn to the person next to you or behind you and say, the business of heaven happens every day. Every day. If you don't say to anyone, I'm going to make an example of you. Every day. Every day. Every day. Church is not just a thing we attend on Sunday. Now, our Sunday service is integral. It's vital. It's special. It's beautiful. But we are the church every day, not just one day, because it's our identity. It's who we are. So every day is an opportunity to meet together, to pray with each other, to fellowship with each other, to have meals with each other. Every day is an opportunity to care for each other, to meet practical needs, to meet social needs, to meet spiritual needs. Every day is an opportunity to study the scriptures together, to be taught together, and to be equipped for service together. There is no way we can effectively do the business of heaven if we're only doing it once a week or once a month. There is no way we can expect real fruit from this if it's only a sometimes thing or if it's only an individual thing. Now, I don't measure our church health by the number of people sitting here on a Sunday afternoon listening to me preach. It would be pretty narcissistic of me if I did, wouldn't it? I measure our church health by how many people turn up to our Friday prayer meeting. I measure our church health by how many people are part of Bring and Share Meals. I, I measure our church health by how many people are getting together with each other during the week to serve each other. We heard a great testimony from Benita, didn't we, about the church getting together during the week to practically care for one another. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Hey? I measure our church 
Health by the number of people who pray for each other during the week. How, by how many people serve at mainly music or in our fusion cell group. I measure our health by the number of lawns that are mowed and meals that are cooked and scriptures that are shared. And we're a church that does this. I want to encourage you. We are a church that does this. And I just delight in hearing about how this stuff is happening. You know, you guys are an awesome branch of the kingdom of God. I love, I love your heart for people. I love your heart for this church. I love your heart for this shire. I love hearing about someone that had a meal during the week with someone else. It's beautiful. It's awesome. I love hearing when someone says, hey, how can I help on Sunday? Or when someone says, how can, how can I serve? Are there any needs I can meet? You know, that's the church being the church. That's the ecclesia being the ecclesia. And it's a beautiful thing and it's bearing fruit. So I say to you, keep doing it. Don't grow weary of doing good and don't ever give up meeting together. Now, I just want to draw out a few words from Acts chapter 2 that we really need to notice. So if you look at Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, there's a few words there that stand out to me. Words like devoted, awe, glad, generous hearts, praise, enjoying favour. What do you notice about all of those words? Are they, are they happy freedom words or are they duty-bound words of obligation? They're action words. Yeah. And are they words that sort of have happiness and joy and life at their heart? Or are they words that are actions of duty and I have to and I'm made to? When I was first baptised in the Holy Spirit, there were two things I was obsessed with. Two things that I was oh, so excited by. Couldn't get enough of them. And it wasn't Netflix and it wasn't Facebook because they weren't invented then. All right. It was these two things. One was reading my Bible and the other was getting together with other Christians. You know, I would, I would just count down the seconds until Tuesday small group. I was just like, oh, get me there. I loved meeting for coffee and to study the scriptures and to just talk about Jesus with the other ladies in the church during the week. You know, if I could have met every day with the church, I would have. Unfortunately, we were all kind of baptised in the Holy Spirit at different times, so we didn't all have that same get-together daily thing going at once, you know. But, and Sundays, oh, they were the highlight. I just, I was so excited to be there. I was pretty pumped to be here today, actually, I must say. And that's a surefire sign that the Holy Spirit is churning inside of you, isn't it? You know, this stuff wasn't hard for me to prioritise. The Holy Spirit made it easy for me to prioritise this stuff. His work in my inner person made it natural to want it, to desire it, to go after it. I didn't have to conjure up a sense of duty or guilt or commitment to do this stuff. So what I want to say to you is this. If you're having difficulty with the idea of being regularly involved in church life, the solution for you is not to try harder. Do not try harder. That's death. Don't do it. 
The solution is to ask the Holy Spirit to change the way you think and feel. Now, am I saying today that Acts 2 commands us to meet daily? No. Am I saying that everyone here has to be at every church event? No. Please hear me. Don't ever feel guilty if you're not at something. I don't write your name down in a little black book. You know what? I get it. I understand everyone is juggling life. We all have different commitments. We all have different constraints that influence our involvement in the life of the Ecclesia. It's going to look different for every one of us. But what Acts 2 is saying and what I am saying is that one of the byproducts of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you are going to want to meet together. In Acts 2, there was an incredible move of the Holy Spirit into people's lives. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And did it drive the believers into isolation or did it foster community and togetherness and a shared communal experience of faith? Which was it? Isolation or shared community of faith? It was shared community of faith. Has anyone ever heard of the, the Desert Fathers, or the Desert Forefathers, they're sometimes called? The early uh, hermits, the Desert Hermits. Is anyone? Ooh, they're an interesting people, aren't they? In the early centuries after the Christian church, after this big outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2, we see slowly increasing persecution and division and heresy start to seep into the ecclesia. And out of this chaos arose a movement of hermits or, or desert fathers, as they were called, who would withdraw away from society. And what they would do is they would go out into the desert and they would live out there in complete solitude for years and years and years. And they would practice a life of extreme restriction. They would have no possessions, almost no food. They would basically fast all the time. And uh, they would restrict their water intake. And they would deprive themselves of sleep even. You know, they, would, they would live in really small cell-like huts. And some of them would actually design their living space so that they couldn't actually even lie down to sleep. They would kind of just rest for a few moments, leaning on a ledge thing. And they would spend most of their time alone, meditating on God in their cell, because they believed that God could only be found in the physical withdrawal from people and from the world into the desert, and a sort of a spiritual withdrawal into themselves. And these desert fathers saw that they were engaged in spiritual warfare, and, and there were many stories and writings from them about demonic attacks and visions and battles with demons. And, and some of them, you hear some really crazy stories, ones that would you know, build a 30-foot pole, and they would have a little platform on it, and they would just sort of live up there for 30 years, and people would kind of ferry food up to them, and um, they would just stay up there by themselves, meditating on God. Well, there's the one guy I was reading about who was bitten by a mosquito and was filled with so much remorse that, that 
no, no, he killed the mosquito, sorry, he killed the mosquito, he was filled with so much remorse for killing this mosquito that he then went and lived in the swamps for six months to allow all the mosquitoes in the swamp to just eat him. And when he returned, he was barely recognisable, as you could imagine, having been eaten by mosquitoes for six months. So, so these guys were a little bit extreme in the isolation states. Now, I compare these, these two contrasts in the life of a believer. So one group of believers after the huge outpouring of God's spirit in Acts 2 and, and, and this outpouring of the spirit propels them into healthy, loving relationship and worship and awe and gratitude together and, and they enjoy all that God has made and, and they enjoy his world and they enjoy favour with people and, and they just enjoy the freedom of life with God. And then I compare it to this other second group of people who, who emerged out of a period of heresy and, and division and, and conflict in the church. And these people are propelled away from each other, away from community, away from the ecclesia, away from a lifestyle that enjoys and is thankful for all that God has provided into a life of, of warfare and restriction and self-deprivation as a means of, of trying to obtain purity and closeness to God. And, you know, I don't believe that that's how God designed us to live. I mean, that's not what Genesis 1 tells me. God always values relationship. That's who he is as Trinity. Sin, sin is what isolates us and separates us from fellowship with God. Sin is what drives us into ourselves and into greater isolation and separation. So for those of us who... who know that the Ecclesia, they are part of the Ecclesia, but still ask the question, you know, what if I'm too busy? What if I'm too tired to be part of the church on Sundays or Mondays or any time? What do I do? I think if you're asking that question, it should bring a check in our spirit. You know, because if we have no space in our heart, no time in our schedule for the Ecclesia, what does that really mean? I think the antidote to this stuff is just to learn how to stop and create space in our daily life. And you might call that a Sabbath. You might call it a day of rest. You might call it a quiet time, devotional time. We're on the treadmill of life and we're running hard and we can find it hard to stop because if we do, we'll fall flat on our face. Sometimes we're so used to running that we don't even realise we're doing it. You need to make space in your life to rest, to recharge, to find gratitude in small daily things. Space to hear God's voice. Space to be real in your prayer life. And you can't do that if you're always busy, if you're always on the run. And if you don't make space in your own life, you are not going to have space in your life for others. If you're too busy with yourself, you're never going to have space for others. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Throughout the year, I'm going to continue to touch on the theme of rest and Sabbath because it's important. Life in the Ecclesia is not supposed to be hard 
or tiring or burdensome. And if it is, you're doing it wrong. Make space in your day, make space in your week to rest with Jesus. Learn to trust Jesus with your daily obligations so that you can have rest of your mind and rest of your body. And when you start to do that, you will then find that you've got space and time in your life for the ecclesia. For me, I've got a plan ahead of time. I've got to plan my days so that each day has time to do and time to stop. Time to achieve, time just to be. Time to be on my own, time to be with people. And, and when I do this regularly, God's spirit is fresh and at work in me and ministry to the ecclesia is a joy. I'll leave you with the question, what will you do to create space in your life for the ecclesia? What will you do to create space in your life for the ecclesia? Let's pray. Lord God, we stand here as your people. Actually, yeah, stand. Stand, let's stand. Let's stand. Lord God, we, we, we stand here together as your people, as the people of God in Kuluman. And we know that you have, have call, called us to be your holy people. We know that you have called us to do the business of heaven in this place. May we be a people who know how to worship together, who know how to read the word together, who know how to care for one another, who know how to pray for one another, who know how to fellowship with one another. May we be a people who have a hunger and a passion and a heart for the, the local church. May we be a people who just have a, a healthy understanding and a healthy revelation of what it means to be the ecclesia. Holy Spirit, just stir in us a great love for your church, a great love for your body. Where we're tired or where we feel burdened by getting together with people, by making space in our life for other people, would you just take that burden from us, Holy Spirit? Jesus, you bear our burdens and we just give them over to you. We give our obligations to you. We give our, the things we need to do and achieve, we give them to you. And we just rest in you. Jesus, help us to make time and space in our life to be refreshed and nourished by your spirit. And then may we find time in our life to refresh and nourish and encourage others in the church. Father, as this church grows, may we be a people who um, lovingly get alongside each other, who mentor each other, who equip each other, who care for each other. We thank you for uh, just the heart that you have given this church, the heart that you have given each person in this church for, for you, but also for each other. We thank you for the good work you're doing in this place. And we commit ourselves to you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.